Sagemont Church is a gathering of Christian believers in the southeast area of Houston, Texas. Today's message is from our senior pastor, Dr. John Morgan. Last week was an incredible Easter. There were some things that happened last week that have never happened in my lifetime uh, or in the life of Sagemont Church in that we, uh, on Easter, always have a great attendance. And last week was certainly no exception. Uh, there were almost 8,000, I believe 7,940 or so people that attended our services. But what was the unusual thing was uh, that normally on Easter, everybody's thinking about, since we get out of church, we're going out to eat, we're going to do this, going to do that. But last week when the invitation was given from our Lord for people to trust the Lord, uh, there was an incredible response. There were um, 45 people that invited Christ to come into their life or were baptized last Sunday. And since then, as John Mark told me just a moment ago, there have been 14 more that have come, and some of them here today in the first service. This is, this is what the Lord did. You need to know this as you move about the campus. We have brand new security group. We've uh, issued a contract to another group for security, and they're doing a marvelous job. And one of the employees, the beautiful lady that drives a golf cart out here, a white golf cart, and uh, she has uh, been on the campus here about three weeks, maybe four weeks, and she was one that trusted the Lord as her Savior. Well, on Wednesday, she brought her family, her children, and they trusted the Lord as their Savior. And in the last hour, we saw all three of them baptized over here in the baptistry. And uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. One gathering one, gathering one. Um, Fifteen people joined our church from other churches, and we welcomed them, glad they're here. They, they, we call that moving your letter. You say, well, I never did write anybody, so I don't think I have a letter to move. Well, that's not the way it works, but don't worry about it. The, the point is that these are folks that are making Sage Mount their church home. But the neat thing was that 45 people trusted the Lord as Savior. That is, uh, that's what it's all about. So thank the Lord for what he has done. Now, I want to say just a word before I get into the main text. I'll have you stand in a moment for reading the brief passage of Scripture. But I want to say a word to those 45 people. Um, last week we talked about if, if, if uh, what if? What if Jesus was not risen? Um, if I were going to preach on this subject, my subject today would be, but now. Now listen to what I'm talking about. Those people that trusted Jesus as your Savior last week, and that Easter became a real thing. It wasn't about Easter eggs and bunnies and, and just coming to church and having another religious holiday. But if you're one of those people that gave your heart to Jesus Christ, this is a word I want to bring to you this morning, one week after your commitment to Christ. You're one week old in the Lord, so to speak. Listen what Romans, what Paul said in the first verse of the 8th chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after 
the Spirit. Verse 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit now, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And listen to this verse. But the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Now, here's what I want you to get. If you asked Jesus in your life last week, that's where he is right now. And whatever you face for the days ahead, you're no longer condemned. Don't you get on a guilt trip. Don't you stay on a guilt trip. You are forgiven. You are free. You're a new person. You have a new start. Now, don't fall like 90% of the folks that go to church back in, well, I'm just, I've just lost it again. You know, no, Christ is in you, and he isn't leaving. Now, where you go in the future determine whether it's going to be a happy, 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 or whoa, whoa, whoa. Because when you take him somewhere where he don't want to go, he will certainly let you know. But if you go where he wants you to go, you've got some great days coming. And I don't want you to go next week, the next week, the next week, the next week. A lot of people go in the next decade, the next decade, thinking, well, I hope I'm saved. I want to be saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. If you ask Jesus in your life, you're saved and you're forgiven and there's no condemnation to those that live in Christ Jesus. You are free. You are free. And if Jesus makes you free, you're free indeed. So I just had to share that with my new brothers and sister Christians. Now, today I want to talk to you about now what? Christ is risen. Now what? Christ is risen from the grave. What happened after he rose that we can all learn a lesson from? So let's go over to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And uh, I want you to be prepared for me to read there in just a moment. If you go back to the 20th chapter, as this, we're preparing for the moment that I will read, let me tell you what happened. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He rose on Sunday morning. Now, the different Gospels have different stories that the different apostles, as they were writing, told that they were these stories they were familiar with. Now, what John told is what I want to uh, share with you that because it precedes our text for the morning when you read the book of John in the 20th chapter you'll see that that Mary the mother of Jesus went to the tomb and uh, there were two angels sitting inside the tomb now this is before the sun rose and it was somewhat dark and uh, just beginning to dawn and she looked in there and she saw two angels but the first thing she noticed that Jesus body was gone so it shocked her. She was very upset, very emotional about that moment. And in her emotion and weeping, she could see dimly, but she looked around in the garden there, and she saw another person who she thought was the gardener. And so in that 20th chapter, that's in verse 14, and she did not recognize the gardener and the, and, uh, or the person, and the person spoke. And when the person spoke and she understood that it was Jesus, she 
then goes and tells the disciples in verse 18, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. However, if you go on down a little bit further, Jesus, on the same evening in verse 19 of the 20th chapter, has a meeting with his disciples. Now, these are the guys that had been locked up, all shook up on, the, on Thursday because he was going to be crucified on Friday. He would be executed, and they would probably follow, and they were locked up and all this kind of thing, and it, things had kind of, kind of come unraveled for them. So Jesus gets them all together, and he shows himself, and he says, Peace be unto you, and he's standing in the midst. I just want to say this. Anytime you see Jesus in these stories, read about the cross. Thief on one side, in the midst was Jesus. And when he was 12 years old, he was at the tomb. Doctors all gathered around. It says, in the midst. Where's Jesus' rightful place? Anywhere he shows up, in the midst. He's the center of attention. He's number one. Okay. Now, there's a guy named Thomas that wasn't there. We talked about him last week. So Jesus calls another meeting. <laughs> and because Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it. Not, I got to touch him. I'll not do it. I touch him. So he calls another meeting. Well, Thomas shows up. Eight days later, that's verse 26. And after he touches him, he says, My Lord and my God. Then we go over to chapter 21, where we are this morning. Jesus is by the Sea of Tiberias. And in verse 6, you remember they, they, he, they had not caught anything. And he sends them out fishing. Very interesting to those of you that are fishing, what the King James does, it says how many fish they caught. I want you to notice 153. Now, fishermen today, if they made a catch like that, they say, well, how many catch? Well, somewhere less than 200, you know, or uh, whatever the limit is, you know, well, we caught the limit, yeah, you know, plus some. But anyway, Jesus, very methodical, 153 fish. That's how many they caught. Well... They have a fish fry. What else do you do when you get that kind of fish? You know, you get you some bread. That's, uh, that's the uh, King James word for hush puppies. And, uh, and they get all these fish out there, and they have a fish fry. Okay, now we're just one day after the, after the resurrection. I followed this. We're getting out to the point. We're going to pick up the reading after they've eaten the fish, 153 of them, and uh, they've eaten them. And now we're going to get to our story. So would you stand, and I want to read to you from the 21st uh, chapter of the Gospel of John. Here's these disciples. Here's the core of the, of the church after the resurrection. And here's the 15th verse of John 21. So when they had dined, I like that word. If you've ever eaten any good hush puppies and Catfish, you understand. That's dining, uh, even if it's on the beach. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love you. He said unto him, Well, feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. 
Jesus said unto him, Well, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, When you were young, thou girdest thyself, you walkest whither you wouldest, but when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth your hands, and another will gird you and carry you whither, wherever, whither thou wouldest not. And listen to this. This spake he signified by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, underline this in your Bible, follow me. What do you do now? Follow me. Would you be seated? Could I put in very brief phrase that maybe you would remember or maybe you'd want to write it down in your Bible? Once a person receives the gift from heaven of God's Son and, and the pardon for their sin, the first word that Jesus would give, now what do I do? Now I'm a Christian. Now I'm a believer. Now I've been born again. Now all that garbage and that baggage I've been carrying of the sin of my past has been taken away. It's been forgiven. It's been forgotten. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now what do I do? Rather than Jesus giving a six-month seminar, he gave them two words, follow me. Now that is about as clear of a, of a course and what it means to be a Christian that you'll ever read. You can read volumes of books as who are these people called Christians. How do you know a Christian when you see one of them? What do they look like? Where might I find them, these people called Christians? The way you, you center this in is very simple. Christian people are the people that are following Jesus. They are not people that follow the ways of the world. They, they come to that moment in their life sometimes later in years. And as they come to that moment in their life of becoming a believer, their life pattern has already been established, just like it was with Simon Peter. And now Jesus comes into the life, and his whole life is fixing to change. And so the... the thing that Jesus is going to tell him in a minute, we had a chance to read it first. And that is, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You see, when you love something, a lot of things just come natural. If you love your mate, you don't have to be asked, are you going to be faithful to me? If you know your body's a temple of God and you respect your body, you're careful about how you treat your body and what you introduce it to and what you take into it because it's the temple of the Holy Spirit and God said, don't defile my temple. But the question is, do you love me? And he moves his hand. I can just see him there. Do you love me more than these? What do you think he's talking about? You think he's talking about more than these disciples, your brothers, these trees? You know what I think he's pointing at? 
I think he is pointing at those fish for Peter and saying, and it's hard for me to tell you, okay, because I love to fish. Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than this fish? That was what he's saying to Peter. He's talking to Peter. You love me more than these? In other words, are you willing to forsake your fishing business and follow me? Are, are, you, are you ready, Peter, to give up all to follow me? Well, he had asked him three times, and he said, yes, I do, yes, I do, yes, I do, yes, I do. He said, all right, I feed my lambs. He said, well, now, what does that mean? Well, let me try to explain it. When you fall in love, it changes your life. If you've ever been in love, you know what I'm talking about. It changes the way you look, where you go, what you do, who you do it with. I mean, everything's love. Love changes everything. Well, whenever he asked Peter, do you love me? And he said yes three times. At least he's on the right track. Because if he really did love Jesus, things were going to change. Now, let me go back to those of you that are brand new Christians. If you love Jesus and you really love Jesus, and, and that's the reason you gave your heart to Jesus, I can promise you he's got a plan for your life. But it's not going to be that you're going to just keep on doing what you've already done and expect different results. If you keep on doing what you've already done, you're going to continue to experience the horrible things you've been experiencing. But if you understand that song that we sing after baptism, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart, then you understand that when you are in Christ, you're a new person. All of a sudden, things you once loved, you now hate, and things you once hated, you now love. And all of a sudden, the Bible becomes real to you because it's a love letter to you. Did you ever get a love letter? I remember the first one that my wife of 50-plus years wrote me. I was 15 years old. I read that thing I don't know how many times. My dad didn't say, you know that letter you got from Beth? It's still in there on the kitchen counter. When are you going to pick it up and read it? Man, as soon as I saw it, I grabbed it and headed to somewhere where nobody could look under my shoulder, over my shoulder. Why? The way I looked, the way I talked, the way I dressed, whatever. Why? Love, 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 love. It changes things, folks. It's not keep this and add that. We're salt and light. He's not salt. We're not, well, here, I need a little Jesus on me. You know, a little, little more, you know. And put some of that holy oil on me just a little bit, you know, to make sure I can wash it off on Friday night. Make sure when I go there I can take this stuff off. That's not what it's all about. You see... Love, not only does it change our lives, but it demands our best. If you've ever fallen in love, you want to look your best. If you ever won that job, you do your best. If you want to pass and get out of school, you do your best. Why? Because you have a goal out there, and that goal is to graduate, to get married, to get the job, or whatever. So you do your best. Now, if your goal is to love Jesus with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, then you want to do your best. So real quickly, if you take notes, to follow Jesus means for everybody, it means giving up some stuff. It involves a giving up. There's places that you no longer go. There's words you no longer use. There's situations you avoid because you're a new creature. Things you once loved, you do not love anymore. 
Things you once hated, you now love. No exceptions. No exceptions. I'm sorry, but so many people come and they believe that, that Christianity is, is just something you add. You know, well, certainly I don't want to go to hell when I die. You know, but I sure just want to live for the devil for right now. And if I just knew I was going to die, I'd give my heart to Jesus about 10 seconds before they pulled the plug. Not the way it works. Mm -mm. Now, granted, all of us know, and I don't know who they are, and you don't know who they are, but by the works, you should know them. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what the priority of people's lives are, I guarantee you. You don't have to be real brilliant to understand what's the most important thing in people's lives. See, the priorities of life is God's first and family second. Church is third because that's the bride of Christ. Fourth is your vocation. Fifth is your recreation life. Now, the world, just real quick, would tell you number five is number one in my life. I mean, coming to church and being a part of the church is way down the list. It depends on who's playing who and when it is and where it is and how they're doing in the standing. It depends on what's going on in the community and what everybody's attending. I might come to church if I can find a day when I want to go get bored. And I will just, I will just sacrifice since we can no longer win the pennant. I don't even care about watching that game. But whenever you get saved, all of a sudden... You find yourself, I can't believe what I'm doing. I had a man sit right out here in this audience and tell me several years ago, he said, you're sure lucky to be sitting by me today. I said, I am. I said, well, I, I know I am. I just don't know why. He said, well, he said, uh, you know what today is? I said, yeah, Sunday. He said, no, what Sunday? I said, Super Bowl Sunday? He said, yeah. He said, you sure are lucky to be sitting by me. I said, well, now why am I lucky sitting by you? He said, because it's 11 o'clock. And he said, for the last 19 years, 11 o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday, I've been sitting by my bookie. He said, you don't bet big money on football games early. You bet at the last five minutes before the betting ceases. And he said, you ought to be, feel lucky. And then he just smiled at me because, see, this man, several months before, had given his heart to Jesus Christ. And he smiled and he said, I sure am glad I'm sitting by you and I'll never sit by that bookie again the rest of my life. That's salvation. That's the result. Things that were important then are no longer important. You don't have to gamble for God to provide your needs. He says in Philippians 4 19, I will supply your need according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Well, to follow Jesus is a giving up. He says... Do you love me more than these? And if some of us would give up some of the things that we won't give up, if we would give them up, it would greatly affect those that come to the Lord Jesus Christ or do not come. It would have a positive effect. The second thing, though, is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you followed him for one week or for 50 years, you have a responsibility. You're not just on a dude ranch. A lot of people think heaven's a dude ranch, you know. Just my name is Jimmy. What you going to give me? What's the church going to offer me? Why don't the church start one of these and don't charge anything for it because my name is Jimmy and I want to know what you're going to give me. I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. 
I know some of you were raised in home as a child. You were on a dude ranch. Your parents didn't make you do anything. And you're suffering from that now. Some of us raised in, in families from the time we could carry a garbage sack, we were carrying it. If we couldn't carry it, we'd drag it. And if we didn't get it all the way where it's supposed to be, somebody would come out and take us back out there and just make sure that we dragged it all the way. You know? Can you imagine such a society as that? It produced, it produced a great country. Let me tell you something. Following Jesus is not a fire insurance policy to keep you out of hell. Following Jesus is taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following him. That's just the way it is. You say, count me out. Well, he doesn't make any changes. He stands there. The rich young ruler came to him one day. He had money, fame, fortune. He came running. He, was, he probably ran the marathon the Sunday before, and he came running up to Jesus, and he said, one thing you're like. He told him what that was. He wouldn't change it. He turned, he walked away. You know what Jesus did? He stood there. He never moved. You know why? Because Jesus does not lower his standard for anybody. It's by grace that we're saved through faith, that not of ourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. We either come his way or we don't come at all. We don't earn our salvation, nor do we work to keep our salvation. It's a, it's a gift of God, and it will continue to be a gift of God. He does not take his gift away, but the only way you're going to enjoy your gift is to use your gift. Anybody ever give you something and you couldn't find out where to use it? Where do those things usually end up? In the garage sales, right? You wonder, why in the world did I buy this thing? You know, I bought it for $100 and I'm going to sell it for 5 bucks, And it's still in the box. What was, what was wrong with me? I'm telling you, a lot of people get into Christianity and they think it's just a good deal and they had it on sale. Well, I found it at a church where they don't even pass the offering plates. How about that? And that's where I got saved, you know. I knew they didn't want any money because I, I wanted all mine. My name is Jimmy. What you going to give me, you know? I'll take more money. And I just want to get all I can, can all I get, sit on the can, poison the rest. And I want to die one of those multi-multi-millionaires. That's miserable. That's what I'm looking forward to. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. That's not the way it works. If you love me, take care of my little ones. If you love me, feed my sheep. That doesn't mean you're to teach. That does not mean you're to join the orchestra. That doesn't mean you're to join the choir. But there's something God has for you to do. And you know what? You're good at it. Got to tell you a little quick behind-the-scenes story. This morning I got in here at 8 o'clock. Word came to me. We were going to baptize five people over in the HRA in our Spanish service. Only had one problem. The water was ice cold. They did not have any hot water. The hot water had not been turned on. And two hours later was the baptism time. That was this morning. Now, let me tell you what we did not do. We didn't call a staff meeting. We didn't ask Stuart Rothberg to add that to his job responsibilities. We didn't call a deacon's meeting. We just kind of sent out an all-call. If you can carry a hot water bucket from the kitchen to the baptistry, come on board. We got five people that want to be baptized today, and they pulled it off. Yeah. You think those, important, those people were important today? You bet they were important today. Why? Because they had a strong back and a willingness to serve. They did something for the glory of God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. You think the people that cleaned this yard yesterday and let us enjoy it when we came in today, you think they're out there because they're on the chain gang and they've been barred from the county, you know, and we just change their clothes while they're out there? 
They're getting a little civil service. No, no, no. Those people all have come because they said, we enjoy taking what God has created and presenting it as beautifully as we can because God has made himself so evident creation that men are without excuse so that people come down the freeway can turn in and just maybe find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In the last service, we had a couple here from Mexico. They came to visit their, their family here. They're on their way home probably right now, but they came by back here a while ago and got two of our beautiful family Bibles in Spanish. We have one back there for you if you want in Spanish. We also have them in English for all of our guests. We want one in every family. They came in. They could not speak any English at all. They sat right through this service last hour. Tears were in their eyes. You know what they said? The interpreter said they wanted me to tell you that though they could not understand anything, in the English that you said. They felt God. And in this music, they felt God. And they could feel the presence of God. And they just wanted you to know that as they go back to Mexico, they feel like God has touched their life today. You see, folks, it's the little things that matter. If you can get people to the Lord, if you get them to Jesus, Jesus will get them to heaven. We've got to get them to Jesus. And the priority has to be that we must lift up him and he will draw all people to him. The need is everywhere. But we cannot love Jesus supremely until the priority of our churches become the lifting up of God's way to be saved. And that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm sorry but Jesus is King of kings and he's Lord of lords. He said, I will build my church, and any church that he doesn't build, whoever else is trying to build it is in for a heap of trouble. But the church is not here to identify with the culture. It's not reaching people in the culture. Jesus is good for every generation. But what we do in word or deed has got to be to glorify God. And if I be lifted up, I will draw people unto me. And when churches are having thousands attended and nobody's being saved and nobody's being baptized, they have not been reached. They are reached when they hear the good news of the gospel. And some are here today, like that couple was a while ago. You have one shot, one shot in their lifetime to hear, Jesus loves you, this I know, because this Bible tells me so. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus loves you. And if you'll trust him, you will be set free one time. It's not about anything other than, Peter, you're, you're a crazy guy. Man, you're cussing one day and praising me the next. You are the most difficult personality I've been around. But if you love me and you'll follow me, we're going to get through this. And that's the guy that preached on the day of Pentecost. And listen, 3,000 people got saved. You know what young believers want others to hear? What a wonderful change in my life took place when Jesus came into my heart. That's what they want their friends to hear. They're not caring about how long the ark is or how wide it is or how many nails they didn't, were they wooden nails or whatever. They that's not the main thing. The main thing is there's a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Well, it's following Jesus by faith unto death. Peter wanted to know how he was to die. He was going to give his all. And by the way, he was executed. It's impossible, impossible 
for us to know what another day brings. We never know. Last Friday, in our offices, was a young man named Josh. Josh is huge, huge. You know what he does for a living? He plays Mickey Mouse at Disney World. Now, that's not my idea. When I met Josh, that wasn't my idea of Mickey Mouse. Man, this guy's a giant. But he's been touched by several people. Sage Mott and, the, and the Tammy and, and her sister. You know what happened last night? His father was one of the three men that were in the boiler room that blew up last night. And he's down here with 70% of burns. We're going to be able to minister to that family. But you don't know what another day is going to bring. One day we've got Disney World happy, happy, happy. And the next day a daddy's close to meeting God. None of us know what another day will bring. And Peter, you've got to understand that's what he's saying. Peter, follow me, follow me. You'll see that I will not go to certain meetings and I'll go home with taxpayers because they need, they need me. I'm going to touch the blind. I'm going to touch those that are, that are hurting because I know what I came to do. I've got 30 years to do it and I must be about my father's business. And that was the plea that went out. So Peter, do you love me enough to do just that. Following Jesus is a personal commitment. And we're going to close in just a moment. But I want you to learn something here. Peter was concerned about Judas. Aspect, well, what about him? What's, what's going to happen to him? Jesus said, Peter, listen, it's none of your business about him. It's about you. We're all caught up. Well, what about him? I know what I saw you do. I know what it was. She says he's a Christian. Look what they're doing right there. Listen. Listen. We're going to all give an account of ourselves to God. There's some things that I talk to, the, to all my friends and everybody in the church about. There's some things I talk to church leadership about. There's some things I talk to my family about. Some things I talk to my wife about. Sometimes some things I might talk to my children or my grandchildren about. But there's some times when I have to get by myself and lock the door and open this book and remind myself to be still and know that he is God. And God, what is your will and what is your way? And for you to, to spend eternity separated from God because you know somebody goes to church every Sunday and their life doesn't look like Jesus and you won't be like them, you won't have to give an account to them. The, Jesus said, Peter, you don't worry about that guy. You just follow me and I'll take care of you. Woo! I tell you what, it sure does help me when I don't get involved in business that I don't have any need in being involved in. I do have to give an account to present the gospel. I do not have to give an account to where the people receive it. I'd a whole lot rather be criticized, and when I get to heaven, I don't want people looking at me and say, I came to hear you preach, and you didn't tell me about Jesus. I came to your church, visited five Sundays, and y'all just hooped and hollered and did all kinds of stuff, and everybody seemed happy, 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 and drank a lot of coffee and milkshakes and ran up down the hall, but you just told me everything was fine, you know. That, that, that God is good and times are bad, and if you'll just think right, you'll be okay. I don't want that compliment. But I hope that people would understand about your life. The world needs to see Jesus. And for some, you're the only thing they got to look at if you say Jesus lives in your life. We'll die for ourselves. We'll stand in the presence of the Lord for ourselves. And to love Jesus... 
supremely is to follow him unto death. We pray that today's message has brought you to a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at Sagemont Church in the Worship Auditorium. For more information, check us out at www.sagemontchurch.org.